Please be seated. Well, this morning we continue our uh, sermon series on the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit as we find in Scripture. And as we started last week, we continue this morning to look at the work, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit in the life and in the ministry of Jesus. This morning we hear in the Gospel reading from Matthew chapter 3. This is the very passage, by the way, that Sarah reflected upon as she created our second piece of phaseology, our paintings on the south wall of our sanctuary space. In this passage, we see something that, that might strike us as odd. We see something in the life of Jesus that might strike us as being a little bit weird. He is baptized at the hands of John the Baptist. Am I the only one who finds that to be perhaps a little peculiar? Yes, I am? Okay, thank you. Thank you so much, Jeff. At least you and I are on the same page as being befuddled by this. Yeah, it's weird, right? So we know who Jesus is. We saw last week uh, in Father Ethan's sermon that the person Jesus is the enfleshment, the incarnation of the eternal Son of God. We know from the pages of Scripture that Jesus never sinned, that though he was every way like us, he never sinned. John the Baptist was preaching a baptism of repentance. Come and confess your sin and be baptized in repentance to prepare for the kingdom of God. Why would Jesus come into this to receive that? Well, this morning I'd like to offer you some way of uh, solution or some answer. We want to look at this passage from Matthew chapter 3. We want to answer the questions, what is happening? We want to answer the question, why is it happening? And we want to answer the question, what difference does it make? So what is happening? Let me put it this way. It's our big idea for the day. In Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit anoints him, and the voice from heaven appoints him to be the Savior King. The Scripture doesn't focus so much on the baptism of Jesus itself. It has very little to say about how Jesus was either uh, had water poured over him or how he was dunked in the water. He's really not particularly interested in the means and the method of John the Baptist's baptism of Jesus. What Matthew wants to focus on is what occurs after Jesus comes up out of the water. Matthew says this particularly, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, two things happened. The heavens were opened. And this should be a huge clue for us from Scripture, that when the heavens are opened, divine revelation is about to occur. What could not be naturally known will be supernaturally revealed. And so the heavens are opened, Matthew tells us, and he saw, that's probably Jesus saw, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descend. It doesn't mean it looked like a dove. It meant that it fluttered down and landed upon Jesus like a dove. And then he heard, Jesus heard, a voice from heaven. Now, this is, my contention is, this is a very public action that more than just Jesus saw this and heard this. John the Baptist, for example, in John's gospel says, I saw this happen. And so at least one other person saw this occur. But what is happening here? I think it's just this. Jesus the incarnation of the eternal Son of God, who was always the Son of God, made flesh. Jesus was receiving the anointing for his mission and purpose, and he was being appointed for his mission and purpose. Perhaps an illustration from pop culture 
can help us think about this. I've made uh, no excuses. I've made no uh, explanations. I've always been very open about the fact that I'm a little bit of a sci-fi and fantasy dork. It's okay. I acknowledge that. <coughs> I love uh, Star Wars. It's vastly superior to Star Trek. I enjoy comic books. And I really love The Lord of the Rings. And in The Lord of the Rings, which I enjoy both the books and the movies, they, there's this great plot, there's this tension that is built and then resolved, and there's characters that are developed. And amongst these characters, among the hobbits, the elves, and the dwarves, there's one man in particular for whom the narrative arc is really instructive, helps us to understand a little bit about what Jesus is receiving here in the baptism. And that man is Aragorn. He's the wandering warrior. They call him a ranger. He joins the Fellowship of the Ring on the mission to destroy Sauron and the Ring. Now, for all of his life, for about 25 years of his life, at least, perhaps 30, live, he lived his life in obscurity. He's, he's something of an exile. Aragorn is more than a ranger because he's actually the one true king of men. And in the book, his narrative arc is one of him stepping into who he is, of him stepping into his calling, accepting his vocation, being the king of men. And in the movies, in the, in the last film of the trilogy, The Return of the King, Aragorn is publicly revealed. He's publicly anointed and appointed as king. He receives his sword from the hand of Elrond. And he hears the words, put aside the ranger. He receives the equipment to be that one king, the heir of Isildel, who can go and destroy evil. And he is told by Elrond implicitly, go and be who you are. Go and be the king. He's anointed and he's appointed. He's equipped and he is proclaimed. I think that's what's happening with Jesus. The Holy Spirit descends to equip him. The voice from heaven proclaims him. And then at the beginning of his ministry, he is proclaimed to be the Son of God, the Savior King. You see, the, the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus not to make him the Son of God, but to equip him to be the Messiah, the Savior King, the one who will bring about justice. The coming of the Spirit upon Jesus is not about his, uh, his ontological being. It's not about his essence. It's about his mission and his purpose. The Spirit comes as equipment, as anointing, to be the Savior King. And this is the way it was supposed to be. In the pages of the Old Testament, for example, there are a number of references to a special agent who's sent by God to save and rule over God's people. This special agent is to be a Savior, he is to be a King, and he is to be what they call the Messiah, the Anointed One. We heard read this morning, for example, from Isaiah chapter 11. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And again from Isaiah, a little bit later on, in Isaiah chapter 42, God proclaims, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And so when Jesus comes up out of the baptismal waters and the heavens are opened in this divine revelation, what is revealed as the Spirit is poured out and anoints the Christ? That He is God's special agent. 
It's announced, it's proclaimed that he is God's special agent. How do we know? Because he's received the very equipment, the very tools. He's received the sword, so to speak, to be the Savior King. The coming of the Spirit upon Jesus is God keeping his promise. It is God sending upon Jesus the equipment of the Savior King. And as we'll explore more next week, this is exactly how Jesus understood it as well. A little bit later on in Jesus' life, in, a, in an event in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus stands up in the congregation. He reads from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he says to that crowd, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So what is happening in this reception, this pouring of the Holy Spirit? Like prophets, priests, and kings in the life of Israel, Jesus is anointed to fulfill his mission and his purpose. Jesus is the eternal Son of God made flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in fulfillment of prophecy and for mission and purpose, he is anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the Messiah, the Savior King. And we see here in this event that, that Jesus isn't alone in his work. The entirety of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are all bound up and involved with Jesus' mission and purpose. After his baptism, Jesus is anointed to the office of Messiah by the Spirit, and he is appointed, he is proclaimed by the voice of the Father. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The voice of God speaks words from the Old Testament. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus, fulfillment of prophecies from the Old Testament, the proclamation, the appointment of Jesus, words from the Old Testament. First, God proclaims Jesus to be the beloved Son. This is a little phrase that comes out of the psalm that Jeff read for us this morning, Psalm 2, which was a regal psalm. It was a kingly psalm. It talks about the Lord's anointed king. It's a celebration, in fact, that the Lord is with the appointed king. And it's a warning as well that the Lord will fight on behalf of the king. And that regal psalm, Psalm 2, is ultimately about Jesus. And Psalm 2 became connected to the office of Messiah, the Savior King, the one who was to come in the power of God to make all things right, to bring justice to the nations. And here, as Jesus walks up out of the water, as the heavens open in divine revelation, as the Spirit is poured out, the voice proclaims, He is the one. He is the King. And that role as Savior King, in fact, was exactly what an angel told Mary Jesus would do. In Luke chapter 1, verse 32, as, as this angel comes to the Virgin Mary and proclaims the conception of the child and the coming birth of a child, the angel says this, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This is always who Jesus was. And this is who Jesus is proclaimed to be as the voice from heaven appoints the one anointed with the Holy Spirit to be the king. And not just the king of Israel, but the king of all of creation. There's a universal scope to Jesus' reign. 
And then we see also the voice proclaiming the father's pleasure with the son. The, the father is delighted in the son, in his being, in his obedience, in his mission, in his purpose, in his connection with the father. Again, this comes from the pages of the Old Testament. Isaiah 42, verse 1. The Lord declares his pleasure with the servant. He says, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice in the nations. So what is happening in this baptism of Jesus? It's not about him repenting of sin. It's not about him in confession. It's about coming up out of the water, this divine revelation, the heavens are opened. He is anointed with the Holy Spirit, fulfillment of Scripture. He's appointed to be the Savior King by the very voice of God. He's basically said, basically told, as Aragon was told, put aside the ranger. So Jesus is told, in a sense, put aside the carpenter. Come and step into your messianic office. Aragorn received his reforged sword, the equipment of the king. He was called to assume his role as a king of the West. Jesus received the Holy Spirit, the equipment of the Savior King, and was proclaimed to be the Savior King by the voice from heaven. Immediately after this event, in every of the Gospels, immediately after this event, he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted. He defeats temptation. He comes back into civilization, so to speak, to begin his public ministry of proclaiming the kingdom of God, of doing signs and wonders in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is anointing. This is appointing. Right? That's the what that happened. But why does it happen? Why was this even necessary? Very briefly, let's consider two reasons why Jesus' baptism was necessary. And the first is connected to the baptism in water itself. And this can be understood, I think, best listening to Jesus' own words. In Matthew chapter 3, we read this account, this conversation between Jesus and John the Baptist. Jesus comes down to, to be baptized. And John, we're told in verse 14, would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John recognized the reality of who Jesus is and was. He had no sin of which to repent, and thus he had no need to receive the baptism. In fact, this holy man, John the Baptist, he recognizes that in the face of Jesus, in the presence of Jesus, he and all of whatever holiness he might have, he needed what Jesus had to offer. But Jesus says to John, let it be so to fulfill all righteousness. It seems best to understand this to mean, let it be so so that I can identify with the people who must be identified with me that they might be saved. Jesus receives baptism at the hands of John in order to identify with the very people he came to save, sinful humanity. He came and was baptized by John to identify with us. It's often stated, uh, we, we talk about this an awful lot, that, that when Jesus died upon the cross, when he was crucified, he did so as a substitute for, in place of, sinners. That upon the cross, he identified himself with sinners, and in St. Paul's words, he became a curse, and that he was made to be sin. That's sort of what we call, or fundamentally what we call, a vicarious or substitutionary Atonement. We kind of get this idea. Jesus dying in place of those he represented and identified with. But it isn't only at the cross that this identification of Jesus with his people occurs. It happens all throughout his ministry, and it happens at the very beginning of his ministry. 
Jesus identifies with the people of God in what one theologian calls his vicarious relation. So what is it that he just substitutes in his death? He also substitutes in his life. He doesn't just die for us. He lives for us. And that identification began in the waters of the Jordan River. In his baptism, Jesus identifies with us so that we might be identified with him. And in being identified with him, that we might receive the benefits of his life, that we might receive the gifts he has to give, that we might be saved. True God from true God, the eternal Son of God, through whom all things were made, taking up the flesh of his creation, was made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus was baptized to identify with those he came to save so that we might be able to be identified with him. That's why he was baptized. There's another why that's happening here I think it's good for us to recognize. There's another gift that Jesus has to give. And that, too, was a gift that he received just after his baptism, the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist testifies about Jesus' baptism, and he says that, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And a little bit later on in John's Gospel, we read that Jesus gives the Spirit without measure. And so in a very real sense, Jesus receives in overabundance, if we can say it that way, Jesus receives a superabundance of the very thing that he will later pour out upon his church. This is a necessary prelude to the events of Acts chapter 2. Jesus receiving what he is later to give away. The what that's happening is Jesus anointed and appointed to be the Savior King sent by God. The why is to identify with sinful humanity so that sinful humanity might be identified with him by grace through faith and receive that which only Jesus can give, new life in the Holy Spirit. And that brings us this morning to the topic of our own baptism. Appropriate for us this morning to think about Jesus' baptism as we baptize three folks, three little, two little ones and one older one this morning. This morning, as we, as we uh, baptize Grayson and Lila and Bruce, it's good for us to think about Jesus' baptism and our own baptism in light of it. The sacrament of baptism is the physical sign of the spiritual grace, specifically the grace of being identified with Jesus. In baptism, something is happening, and the chief actor of that something is God himself. But what is that something? One Anglican pastor explains, baptism is the right of entry into the Christian church. It is ineffective for full redemption until there is repentance and faith, but it stresses the initiative of God. It offers to us all the blessings of the covenant between God's grace and our response. It binds us into a unity of life, not only with Jesus Christ, but with all baptized believers the world over. And baptism plunges us into that most profound of mysteries, the dying and rising of Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
And so this morning, Lila will be identified with Christ, and Grayson will be identified with Christ, and, and Bruce will be identified with Christ in the sacrament of baptism, because regardless of whether we're baptizing infants or adults, baptism is all about being identified with Jesus, the anointed and appointed Savior King. Our baptism whether we're baptized when we are children or when we are adults, our baptism is the beginning of our connection to and our journey with Jesus. It is the beginning of a new life, a new way of life. Baptism is not the goal point. It is the starting point. The baptism of Jesus was an act of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the baptism that we receive is an act of that same triune God as he acts on our behalf to bring us into the life of the Trinity adopted to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. And so baptism is a public act that proclaims to all who witness it that God has done something and is doing something in us for our good. Now, from the moment of baptism onward, every baptized person, no matter their age, has a choice to make. We will either live out of our baptism and live out of our identification with Christ, or we won't. But in the lives of those who faithfully live out their baptism, the Holy Spirit is at work bringing to actuality, bringing to fullness the very thing that is signed in the act of baptism, identification, union with Christ. It's phenomenal the way the kindness of God works, that our baptism can look back at conversion. I don't want to embarrass Bruce or put him on the spot, but he's looking back in a celebration of baptism. He's looking back at saying, yes, I have received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Baptism is an appropriate response to faith. But baptism, in the case of little ones, of infants, can actually look forward to conversion as we invite the little ones into the covenant community, into the body of Jesus, and make them recipients of all the privileges, therefore, we can look forward to a moment in their lives where Grayson and Lila will proclaim themselves to be believers in Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit, confirmed by the bishop. And we as a church get to come alongside Bruce and Grayson and Lila. We will take vows to say we will walk alongside them. We will seek to have Jesus proclaimed to them and around them. We will pray for them, and regardless of their age, we will seek that they receive the full fullness of that which Jesus has to offer. Salvation in the Holy Spirit. Identification with Jesus himself. And just as, this, what kindness of God is this? Just as Jesus received the Holy Spirit and anointing for mission and purpose, and just as Jesus heard the voice of the Father proclaiming his good pleasure in appointing him, so those who are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit can and do receive the same. By grace through faith, Jesus pours out his Spirit, the Spirit he received upon all who believe. By grace through faith, we can hear the Father say over us and over Lila and over Grayson and over Bruce, you are my beloved. When this happens in relation to our baptism seems to be different for all who receive it. Because the faith that saves can precede the baptism with water. The faith that saves can come simultaneously with the baptism of water. The faith that saves can even come after the baptism with water. 
in baptism, we identify with the one who was made flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit, was anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the Savior King, was appointed by the voice from heaven to be the King. In baptism, we identify with the one who identified with us, Jesus the Christ. And so the what? In Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit anoints him, and the voice of heaven appoints him to be the Savior King. Why? He identified with sinful humanity so that we might identify with him, and by grace through faith receive the gifts of salvation and the Holy Spirit he has to offer. What difference does it make? When we are baptized, we are identified with the one who identified with us. In baptism, we come into connection with Christ. By the work of God, we begin to receive that which he has for us as we begin our journey with Christ. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious God, as we continue to worship you through song this morning, we pray, Holy Spirit, just make yourself present to us. God, we pray that you would be the center of our attention. As we worship you, as we turn to baptize these little ones, may we celebrate what you are doing and will do in the life of Lila and Grayson. As we baptize Bruce this morning, Lord, may we celebrate and look forward to your continued work in Bruce's life. Come and be glorified, we pray. Move amongst us in power. Lord, exalt Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and continue to worship through song. You'll find our, spirit, our singing, uh, the singing of the songs. You will find the lyrics <laughs> printed in the bulletin. <laughs>